Hey world, and welcome back to the Shape of a Star podcast, where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it so that we're the star, or something like that to that effect, and blah, blah, blah. You hear me say this every episode. Or you could just go on the Instagram, it's on the banner. Which, by the way, we have an Instagram, a Twitter, and an email at the Shape of a Star podcast. And if it's a Gmail, it's at gmail.com. Anyways, it's all the same photo. You'll find us. No big deal. Point is, is that today we have on someone of academic accomplishment, I will say, fresh off defending their master's thesis, is someone that, yes, did go to Mason, but is not there currently. Welcome, everyone. Joel Moda. Hey, everybody. What's up, man? How's it going? It's good. We haven't spoken in forever. No, no, not at all. I mean, not since Mason, whenever, you know, at, at, at best 2015, right? Uh, no, we didn't even speak since you lived with Charles. Okay, then yeah. Yeah, sounds about right. Oh my god, what year were you and Charles living together? Oh god, um, oof. I can't remember if that was sophomore or junior year. Right. So what, 2012, 2013? That would have been sophomore year. Okay, so somewhere around there. Okay. I can't remember because it was me. It was me, Charles, and then William and Danny. Not me, Danny, but other <laughs> Danny. Yeah, that was a wild time. But Charles is a man. Shout out, Charles. Hey, Charles. No, I was asking mostly because um, what's it called? Uh, yeah, no, I was trying to figure out if it was before or after Charles and I dated. Whoa! <laughs> Wait, I didn't know this actually ever. Hello. No, me and Charles dated, but. Oh, okay. It was only two weeks. Uh, oh, wow. And during the two weeks, I, I messaged him and I was like, Charles, we haven't spoken or seen each other in two weeks. What are we doing? And he was like, I don't know. And I was oh like, okay, God. did we just break up? And he's like, I guess. And I was like, <laughs> are we still going to Southside in 20 minutes? Because I'm still hungry. <laughs> and Charles was like, yeah, I'm down to go to the Southside. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo. That's and that's insane. Wait. That was me and Charles dating. <laughs> uh, okay, I that's a lot for me right now. Holy crap, <laughs> that's kind of hilarious. I think it's hilarious too, which is why I have no issue sharing it with people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would hope not. So, no, yeah. I'm gonna hit him up and be like, "Yo, Charles, <laughs> what what happened?" Please do because I do talk to him like all the time. Still, like once a week, minimally. Yeah, see, I don't, like, um, I mean, he's awesome. I love Charles. I love living with him. He's a good guy, but, uh, yeah, haven't talked to him in forever. Yeah. But yeah. this is not about Charles. This is about you, Joel. Ooh. So, yeah. You defended your thesis for your master's literally less than a week ago. Yeah. Yeah, Friday, March 4th. Yeah, so now is your chance to brag about your findings to everyone that is voluntarily listening because i can't say stuck here because they would just shut the podcast off otherwise <laughs> yeah so yeah i um so yeah my name is joel as everyone knows and um i'm a master's student at west virginia university um in the wildlife and fisheries management program and i focus my work on turtles and specifically spotted turtles so that's kind of what um i defended on and the 
the big the big hullabaloo about it was that the spotted turtle is a, a species super cute super tiny um but there's not that many of them anymore right um there used to be quite a few but people who've paid attention have noticed that there seem to not be found as easily and when we do find them they're not that many and so there's this big push to um list it and and potentially to be on the endangered species act and um fish and wildlife service you know listened and they went through a bunch of species and decided that the spotted turtle would be considered to be listed so with that all the states that know that they have spotted turtles we're like, oh, we need to update our info. Like, we need to be able to give fish and wildlife the best information we can about it. And um, they found me, basically, out of the woodwork and uh, decided that I would lead West Virginia in um, figuring out and updating our spotted turtle situation. And so that's what I did. That was kind of my big thing was, where are spotted turtles in West Virginia? And what's the best way that we can find more of them into the future, plus some wetlands hydrology modeling that uh, I think usually puts people to sleep because it's a, a little complicated. But um, basically, I wanted to find really shallow wetlands because spotted turtles don't like deeper wetlands. It would also make it harder to find them. Yeah. Yeah. Although they're super hard to find anyways. They are super hard. That's like one of the biggest challenges is... Um, even if we know they're there, like, you know, historically people will be like, yeah, there's spotted turtles in that wetland area, that shrubby swampy place, pretty low chance of finding them anyways. Like you have to really put your time in, set out traps, be there every day, putting your hands in the mud to find them. They're really good at not being found. Huh. Do we know why? Um... Well, it's a combination of things. So one of them is um, one of the best ways to survive in general, right, uh, in, in nature and in, in the natural world is to just not be seen, um, especially if you're a small turtle and you're worried about birds and other things predating you. Just don't be seen. Best best form of, of defense. The second thing is where they like to live, these shallow wetlands, they're not what I think a lot of people think of as a wetland. When people think of a wetland, they think of a pond or they think of like a swamp or something like that that has all these trees and it's mucky and things. And like for spotted turtles, yeah, you could maybe find them in these swamp areas, but really they like these areas that are just covered in like grassy vegetation, just super thick, you know, up to your like chest and just super thick grass and it's like just a foot of muck underneath and maybe you have some water sometimes there's not water sometimes there is and they seem to be in those areas and so that's just really hard to work in like no one wants to go there kind of sucks but if you're a spotted turtle that's you know free real estate like you love it holy cow i didn't realize the grass was that high yeah um once you hit I'd say June and July. Yeah, you, you get grass grasses up to your chest above your head, at least for me. And I'm like 5'11". So. I was about to say, how tall are you? Yeah. I was like, because so. I remember you're significantly taller than me. I'm 5'5", five five, everyone. <laughs> so you are literally half a foot taller than me. Um, So I would die in the mud. 
we could get you through. I believe. <laughs> I believe you could get me through, but <laughs> dying in one might be willing at that point. Uh, <laughs> every, the world knows, like, yeah. anything in STEM is not my thing. But it's fascinating <laughs> with well, hearing people's passions. Yeah. So you told me in the preform that everyone knows. Oh, by the way, everyone, it is March tenth, twenty twenty two, right now. Just in case, whenever this pops out, <laughs> the world's different, and we know. Uh, when Joel actually defended his life, not yeah. life, March fourth. Uh, basically, my life. It's not. It's not that different. I won't lie. <laughs> so, why reptile and amphibian conservation specifically is what you've yeah, developed as like your my focus. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know, man. I'm just weird. Ever since I was a little kid, um, like literally like four or five years old, I've always been fascinated with uh, reptiles and amphibians, particularly snakes. Snakes were my big thing. Um, and they still are. Um, I think, I don't know. I think five-year-old me was just like, man, this snake's like climbing a tree and, and, you know, going in holes and climbing over fences and doing all this stuff. And it doesn't even have arms and legs. And I have arms and legs and I can't do that. That thing's like way cooler than me. Like what the hell? And so I, from there, I just always thought they were like super fascinating and awesome. And so it just kind of grew and grew uh, as a, as an interest. Oh, so you've known what you wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always been a passion of mine. I never really understood how to get there. Um, I never really had an idea of what the plan was like, okay, here's this word herpetologist or conservation or whatever, but like, what does that mean? Like, how do I get there? I never knew, but there was always that passion in me being like, yeah, that's like what I want to do. I want to study these things. I want to like learn about them and like figure things out and protect them. Right. Cause like a lot of these, a lot of these species are kind of the, the slimy, scaly, creepy things that people don't like. And they, they kind of have that underdogness to them. So I like, I relate to that in a way. Which I can understand how knowing your life story, but knowing you as a person, people, I don't think you understand. Joel is super popular. <laughs> people love that <laughs> <out of> Joel. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that always like catches me off guard. Um, Cause I don't, I, yeah, you're right. There's gotta be this like cognitive dissonance that I have about myself where I don't, I live my life like being like, yeah, whatever. Like maybe five people have thought about me today or something like that. It's not like a thought I have, but like, that's just how I live. And I kind of always forget like um, that I've had many people tell me recently in one way or another that like, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm an introvert. Like they're talking about themselves. Like I'm an introvert. Like some, like most of the time I don't want to leave my house or like talk to anyone, like screw all these people. And then you have people like Joel who can make friends with a fence post. And I'm like, oh, I guess that is what I'm like. So yeah, appreciate it. Um, it's weird to think about. I, I always forget that I have homies everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you really do. Like, I used to just hear about you all the time. Like, oh, do you hear what Joel's up to? I was like, no, he doesn't talk to me. He's too busy. Whatever. <laughs> I, I I can neither confirm nor deny these accusations. I can confirm he's blushing. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so another question I had once I read Reptile and Amphibian. If yeah. I'm thinking of the animal kingdom, nothing is more opposite than a reptile with scales and amphibians who are the slimy ones, despite what people think about snakes. Snakes are not slimy. But is there actually time to, like, is there overlap? Like, or is there similarities? Yeah, so actually, I really appreciate how you brought that question up, like, a lot. Not, like, we, we, we're loving this. Like, as, and if anyone who's listening to this has a, a, an interest in herpetofauna and, like, reptiles and amphibians, they're loving this moment right now because um, they aren't. They actually aren't all that related phylogenetically like literally taxonomically they're not that related the only reason that um reptiles and amphibians are considered or kind of put together academically is because um back in the day actually i don't know exactly but the word itself her like herpetology um it's it it mostly derives from greek and herp the 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 derivative of that means to creep so it's the study of things that creep. But <laughs> when we think of like the biology of these animals and, and, and so on, they're actually very different. Like they're not that similar. But when it comes to the ecology and how these animals, their active seasons in the year and kind of their habitat requirements in general and the fact that they're both um, what we call ectothermic or poikilotherms, um, there is overlap there, right? So like when you think of herps and you're like doing scientific work, you always have to think about temperature. Temperature is like so critical. And so like, that's one thing that you can't escape. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you really get into the weeds of it, there isn't that much overlap. Um, but you know, you make it work. I've, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of uh, salamander and frog species and super fortunate to have worked with turtles now and a bunch of snakes, both non-venomous and venomous which was super fun. Can you explain to everyone the difference between poisonous and venomous? Sure. So um, poisonous is essentially when you interact with either the living or abiotic thing, right? And it has some enzyme or some compound in it that causes some type of chemical reaction or allergic reaction on your body, right? So protein, something's going on that's causing a deleterious reaction on your body. Um, poisonous, or excuse me, venomous is more specific in the fact that that animal has specific biological constructs, like literally physiological things in its body that produce venom that are then injected or somehow put into the body of either their prey or someone that's pre like predating them. Um, and yeah, that's like, that's the big thing, right? There's kind of this system that injects a venom. And so there's all these other systems in the body that produce that venom. Um, and there are systems and in, in other things that produce venom, but it, that injection idea is really important because it's, there's an intent that that's being done there. What's gets confusing about it now that you know that is people are like, well, you know, people are like, oh, well, that snake's poisonous. And you're like, no, stop. Like it's venomous. Turns out there are snakes that are both venomous and poisonous at the same time. So, yeah. So that's why frogs are poisonous because when you lick them. Yeah. 
and they're not actively like shooting venom into you from their tongue or anything. Yep. It's just yeah. secretion. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to think. Ah, oh, what is it? It's the Colorado River Toad. That's the big example in the U.S. It's, I mean, it's venom. It's not venomous. It's poisonous, but it's also the species that um, historically people would lick to get high. A classic. Does it actually work? Um, you know, I'm not sure, but historically, I think so. I think people did get high, and I don't know what com compound it is. Um, but it probably also came with the fun side effects of like vomiting and feeling terrible. But yeah, you got high for a little bit, maybe. See, I didn't think it would actually work. That's why I wanted to know. Also, <laughs> I have a lot of friends that love hearing anyone and everyone explain venom and poison to people, like yeah. what the difference yeah. is. Yeah, you explained it the most scientifically, I will say. I try. I mean, at this point, I just defended, so I have a reputation to. To uphold i guess most people just <laughs> say venom's inside you poisons on top from external yeah well that's like right with um uh with some of these snakes that are poisonous and venomous it's actually some of their body fluids that are poisonous so like literally like parts of their blood are poisonous um so it's it's weird also, the reason why this is also fun these days is because everyone's like, oh my god, Twilight was accurate. Because <laughs> of the so, vampire venom. Yeah, so fun thing. Never watched it. Never haven't interacted with Twilight or um, like the, the book series or anything like that. But I will say, I do like Robert Pattinson as an actor. Robert Pattinson, phenomenal. Great actor. Um, I can't remember the female lead, though. She's very good too. Like she's done a lot of other stuff. Kristen but Stewart. Yeah, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. But yeah, I just actually saw Batman, the new one. That was like Me. my like, um, that was my gift to myself post post defending. I also saw it. What do you think? I liked it a lot. I mean, I went in having pretty high expectations. Like I just said, I think Robert Pattinson's a phenomenal actor, so I thought he would do really well. Like, if you've watched his other films that aren't Twilight. He does this thing where he just likes breaking, like he likes playing these broken characters. And I thought Batman is inherently kind of a broken character and he's going to play him that way. And I think it's going to be awesome. And then the cinematography was phenomenal. Like I thought the cinematography carried the whole movie. Yeah, I believe that entirely true as well. Um, I like the cinematography. It was very nice. I will admit Robert Pattinson does like to play broken characters. Yeah. Which Edward is everyone like get over yourselves. Edward's broken as shit. Um, <laughs> But everyone knows I love Twilight, so it's no big deal. But yeah, we yeah, all yeah. admit he's broken. Yeah. <laughs> he's so broken inside. Um, Sad boy vibes. Yeah. Uh, if you know Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, you'd catch that reference to a world. And if you still don't, every episode, uh, not really, but I still encourage everyone, go watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's mental health comedy and musicals. <laughs> um, no, but I, I'll be honest, I hated it. <laughs> Oh, you did? You didn't like it? I didn't. Okay. I felt it was the most, like, I wouldn't say toxic masculinity, but it was just so, oh, like, oh, no one had a rational thought other than to just get angry at each other the whole movie. Mostly the cops. Okay. The cops, all they did was just scream at each other and push each other around, literally, like, give us the yeah, information. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, guys... <laughs> Robert Pattinson, Batman, was the only one that would just stand and watch 
And yeah. think, because even though Zoe Kravitz was great as Catwoman, I will say, she was not standing around thinking she was acting, which, okay, not bad either. No, but not either. But just okay. like every other yeah. side character in the movie, I was just like, why are you so, can't we have a normal conversation for like a second? Yeah. I know the stakes are okay. high, but. Okay. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's like a interesting, uh, I didn't, I didn't really think of that, like that perspective of it. Um, yeah, that's actually kind of, it's kind of true. I mean, yeah, everyone was pretty like impulsive. That wasn't basically Robert Pattinson or Gordon. Like I feel like Gordon. And then the, uh, uh, what is it? Andy Serkis who played, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. He played Alfred. He was cool. You didn't have much screen time, but he was cool. Yeah. Um, oh, also I got so distracted by the twins. <laughs> oh that was fun i enjoyed that gag i really enjoyed like just also because i was just like wow they got them in this movie charlie and oh god what's his name his twin's name i don't know the carver twins yeah i don't know the carver twins are known if you know pop culture they started on team wolf they went on desperate housewives i love oh, both those shows okay so i'm like oh when they appeared i was like oh the twins are here <laughs> yeah nice okay. replaying what we were in twilight i'm mean, not twilight uh teen wolf Okay. Same okay. time period, everyone. Literally, Teen Wolf made an active decision. There's no vampires in the show because of Twilight. <laughs> oh, also, Tyler Posey, star of Teen Wolf, was second runner-up to being Jacob, what Taylor Lautner got. Oh, okay. Like, huh. when these shows were developed at the same time, they really yeah. were. Oh, and yeah. Taylor Lautner and Tyler Posey were really good friends because they were always at the same auditions. Huh. Wow. Dude, small world. <laughs> Yes. But again, this is not about any of that. This is about you. <laughs> <laughs> so a question I did have. So am I wrong to assume that you speak Portuguese? No. Oh, no, I okay. Can, I can speak some for sure. Okay. So did that help with all the Latin that you probably had to learn? Um, A little bit, but actually I was a huge nerd. And in high school, most people, your standard languages that you learned in high school were like spanish french german and that, i feel like those are pretty common i took latin <laughs> i took four years of latin in high school uh, uh oh you committed to all four yeah and that was dope i can't say i remember much of it anymore unfortunately i'm sorry miss Lado. i know you're out there um but um I do remember probably one of the most important sentences that you could learn in Latin, which is obviously, I, I, who knows if this is pronounced correctly, but for mihi pluvini tum abi, which translates into bring me more wine and then go away. It's amazing the phrases we keep. Truly important. Although I will say the German thing. Yeah, uh, being the language is regional. I've learned. Oh, really? Okay. Because when I was growing up in New York, I didn't even know German was offered in schools because everyone was taking Italian. Oh, oh, uh, well, I guess it does have a lot of Italian, like lots of Italian. I mean, I was in the Italian classes with everyone, so we were all yeah. just taking it normally. And then I moved, and I was like, "Oh, they don't have Italian anymore." I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> but, um, anyways, to actually get back to the question, um. It helps some, but uh, eh, not too much. There's a few a few things that I could pick on when I had to learn the, the Latin names, but that was mostly just memorization, just me going through it. Sounds like my nightmare. 
I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you got there and you have your passion in life. I know people would rather die than talk to other people about their feelings, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still. Uh, but also during your, uh, it's not dissertation; it's a defense. I keep wanting yeah, to say dissertation. Uh, but anyway, so during your defense, you mentioned that you were known by the local children as a turtle man. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. I said that as like the children, but honestly, I had more adults, like landowners, call me the turtle man than uh, children, um, which is kind of fun. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. Like, I think people just got used to the truck I had. And when I'd show up, they're like, ah, oh, it's the turtle man. You find anything good today? I'm like, not yet. So. <laughs> I love how you also have humor with it too, which also helps with this next part. Oh, what are your feelings on that? Being, I mean, as... I loved it. I thought it was a great, um, you know, because I'm there to do work. And in reality, with how land ownership is in the U.S., like, you know, I'm just super lucky that they're allowing me to come onto the property, right? Um, so by them, you know, it's one of those things where they just called me the turtle man. It just made it easier for them. And it works for me. It's like, cool. We're like, we, we've, we've got a, a connection here and I'm, I'm good with that. Like, I feel good about being on your property We're we're chilling. Like it's fine. So it was nice. I really, I really liked it. And for the kids, it was great. Cause you know, maybe someday those kids will be like, Oh, that guy was like pretty cool. I want to work with turtles. And that would be dope. Or amphibians or any reptile. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, since you're the turtle man, which color should your eye band be? Oh man. Um let me think for a second. I think I feel like uh I think I'm just gonna be basic and go with like a dark blue, like maybe a shade darker than the polo. Okay, so to be fair, everyone, that he's talking more like a navy and cobalty blue. Yeah. Yes. Because you can't see his world. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No worries. The, the drip, the drip. Uh, when do you begin to develop your ninja skills as um, the turtle man? Yeah, as the turtle man, uh, pretty late. I was a late bloomer, so I'm going to go with like 14. Like 14 years of age, which is pretty late in the art of ninjutsu. All right. And what would your weapon of choice be? Because all ninja turtles have a weapon. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember. So one of them has a staff, right? We have a staff. We have one that has, like, he's, like, the leader dude. He, like, has the two. Is he the leader? I don't know. But he has, like, the he dual wields blades. One of them has nunchucks. And then I can't remember what the other one had. He had, like, Sai. Short... Sai? Yeah. What That's like, called? Uh, okay. Yeah, keep talking. Okay, word. Well, I think I'm trying to think. I think mine I think I would just have kunai. I think that's what I would have. I feel like that's like the standard ninja thing to have. Yo, that's pretty dope. I won't lie. Okay, everyone. For those who can't see again, <laughs> no, I own a pair of sai, so nice. It is a traditional well, not traditional. Well, yeah, it's a traditional farming tool. Really? Yeah. The poor people in ancient Japan didn't have weapons, so they just used their farming tools to fight. So half of, like, modern-day, quote, like, traditionally Japanese weapons are actually former farming tools. Oh, wow. This wow, like I had used the no seed idea. and plant. Because uh, it would make three holes at once. Yeah, okay. 
that's pretty cool. I no idea. That's awesome. But yeah, I think I would just do kunai. I feel like that's like the standard thing, and they don't have that. So the Lee Village is proud of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay, so you kind of mentioned it earlier with the other form of the verb, but you, during your defense, you mentioned herping. What on earth is herping? Yeah, so field herping is... Um, so here's the thing. Like, the wildlife world, when it comes to, like, academia and, and, and getting your degree to try and work with wildlife and either do research or become a biologist to manage populations and stuff, pretty competitive it's a pretty competitive cutthroat kind of world like there's a reason why it took me four years from graduating from mason to get like to get into a master's program um because all the projects i was applying for which were far and few between like dozens of other people were applying for so um so if you're really dedicated and you take that route, then you you know you're solidifying yourself as a formal academic herpetologist. But many people who just like wildlife and are really interested and really like snakes and stuff would consider themselves like field herpers, where literally part of their hobby is they'll just go out when the weather looks nice for certain species and try to find them. Um, I mean, I did this. I did this plenty um, post undergrad and throughout my technician years before I got into my master's, you know, I would work all day, you know, doing line transects for gopher tortoises or dip netting vernal pools and, you know, trying to steer clear from alligators looking for amphibian larvae and snake surveys and whatever else. But afterwards I would just go out and drive hours of road to see animals crossing the road, or I would go in just walk like, miles of forest or sand hill or swamps trying to just find stuff and taking photos and being like oh i found this new species this is awesome right so that's that's kind of the gist of field herping okay nice i'm glad that it was that you've been able to clear that up because i feel like that is something people mistake all the time yeah and believe me they do it's it's usually a very confusing sight when it's 2 a.m and a car stopped in the middle of the road with its lights on because you just, I don't know, a, an awesome snake, you know, you found it. And then a cop comes by and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you here? And usually they think drugs and we're like, we found the snake and it's awesome. And he's like, no, no, this is drugs. <laughs> I would have been like, did you lick the snake? Yeah, <laughs> that's usually, yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of weird weird looks, but it is what it is. Something else about this defense, and don't worry, people, we will get to know Patrol more than just this defense, but what's it like to explore the swampy worlds in overalls, what it looked like to be at least, mm -hmm. and it looked to be super intense in the gross summer heat. Like, Tell me all about the experience of actually going out and herping. Yeah, so... Um... The overalls are waders. That's like what we call them. Um, and, um, and, and just, I guess to kind of describe those for viewers, um, I think what Danny's talking about here is like chest waders where I have these kind of straps going over my shoulders and then it kind of comes up to right around where my chest is. And then basically the lower half of my body's covered in like this, like 
neoprene rubber matrix of different materials. And, it's the same um, stuff that Fisher Pufman like said yeah, in, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep, exactly. So like if you're a fisherman, right, you know what waders are. Um, same thing. Um, yeah, it gets real steamy, real hot. Um, it can be, well, it's definitely not very fashionable for most people, although we make it work. You know, we, we try to, we try to get some good photo shoots in, in the field. Um, it can be difficult sometimes when it comes to like being maneuverable for sure. Cause like they're, they're, you know, there are very few waders that perfectly fit you, right. That like aren't too big, but have enough room so you can crouch without you feel like you're tearing, like you're going to rip stuff or whatever. Um, you have to really start paying a lot of money for those and I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's just stinky, laborious, but a lot of fun. It's very empowering. I find wearing waders very empowering because like I put them on and it's, it's kind of like a suit of armor in a way where you're like, yeah, I can go in this wetland and like do whatever and it's fine. Like I'm not worried. Um, the only thing you do worry about is like if you get too far in and you flood yourself, right? That, that sucks. Um, but I had one job actually down in Savannah, Georgia that I worked for three I months. love Savannah. Yeah. So I was, I was living on a U.S. Fish and Wildlife bunkhouse, literally on the line between South Carolina and Georgia, um, like literally on the state line there in like the middle of the Savannah river, like just surrounded by swamp. And, um, that job was so swampy like they were like i was like all right like do i need waders and they're like no you don't wear, wear waders for this job like do you have wind pants like really sleek pants and i was like yes i do and they're like do you have soccer cleats and i'm like yeah they're like that's what you wear so that it's easier to punch through the mud because you're gonna if you if you wear waders you're gonna flood you're gonna get stuck every day it doesn't matter out here and i was like oh so yeah, that's when you know you've like entered a new realm when you've got a wetland job that says don't worry about waders. <laughs> wow. Okay. And what kind of things do you use to actually wade and like herp and Oh, sure. Um so I guess it depends on what uh so recreationally a lot of people use um like if they expect to find snakes they have like a snake hook and it, the hook a snake hook usually is just like this metal bar that kind of comes out straight and then there's this like dip in it and that dip you use to get underneath the stake and kind of lift it up right um if you are an amateur like herper and you're in areas that have a lot of venomous snakes um, people will use tongs basically which is like a long metal bar that has like kind of these pinchers at the end and you kind of learn how to manipulate the snake that way. But when it comes to like professional work, um, it's very specific to what species you're working on. So like for my stuff, um, I had these traps, these like minnow traps that I wrapped chicken wire around so that raccoons and stuff wouldn't get into them. And um, those traps I would put in like mud, water, mucky places and the turtles, yeah, I'd bait them with, um, sardines or cat food and then turtles would get in there hopefully so the tools of the trade are very wide 
And like everything else in life, you got to make it yourself half the time. Yeah, yeah. We bought the traps, the traps we could buy, but then I had to wrap the um, the um, traps with the, the chicken wire or the poultry netting. And then um, the thing that I did have to make, um, although my advisor helped a lot, out a lot with that, was um, what I called the trap carrying device. And it's like this thing... Imagine, I don't know if anyone does backpacking or like really intense backpacking for like multiple days. People wear kind of like this almost like skeleton kind of like frame on their back and it will hold like multiple packs and things. I kind of made one of those out of like PVC pipe and like all that stuff so that I could stack on like 12 traps on my back. So I didn't have to like carry all these like four or five traps with like, um, the poultry netting just cutting me all over. I could at least just hold them on my back and look like a giant turtle. Is poultry netting chicken wire? Yeah, chicken wire. Why do I you just... call it poultry netting? Is that like an official term or? Yeah, that's I've like got that ingrained in my head. This is post defense brain still because like when I'm writing my thesis, um, I had it as chicken wire first, but then my committee was like, you should probably call it poultry netting. And I was like, you're right. So I had like go through and change it to poultry but netting. Why? Um, I guess that's just like how one, it's more formal. And two, I think that is how it was advertised. Like the thing that we bought was called poultry netting. So like by oh. calling it poultry netting and then saying what kind it was, because I had to have the dimensions and everything in my thesis. Um, it makes it easier for someone who wanted to replicate what I'm doing to find that exact thing rather than saying chicken wire. Oh, I never knew. I didn't know if it was like a licensing, like chicken wire is a brand of poultry netting, you know, and people get like weird. Yeah, I mean, that. maybe, but if, for my purposes, no, that's not why. All right. Anything else you want to add before we move on from your academia? Um, not really. I mean, field works dope. Finding animals is super cool. Um, so yeah. Oh, one last question. Yeah, so sure. you're cool with reptiles and amphibians. How are you with bugs? I'm fine with bugs. I don't mind bugs. Um, I live in a basement basically of like this house. That's like my, like my apartment's in a basement and uh, it's like a constant task to like remove bugs. Just like put them outside. Lots of spiders, lots of crickets, lots of stuff. I don't mind. Um, stuff of nightmares. Yeah. For most people, but I'm chilling. Yeah, I don't mind reptiles. Cannot handle bugs. <laughs> Any particular species, like roaches or something, or is all. it just all of them? All of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like butterflies. Those things drink really? blood. Okay. No, like, have you ever looked it up? Butterflies drinking blood because I like the. Sugar oh yeah, no. I, I mean, yeah. I I know people are like, oh, they're so pretty, and it's like, yeah, you're right, but also, like, because I. I am who I am and what I study. I also am like, oh, there's a lot of butterflies here. And immediately I'm like, where's the dead thing? There's got to be something dead around. And more often than not, yeah, there is a, a dead thing around. Yeah. Carnivorous little things. They're so deceiving. I can't handle <laughs> Or are, is that, it's not a carnivore if they're drinking blood. Um... Well, that's a good question. I actually have never considered them carnivorous. I would just always think of them as scavengers um, because it's not like they're 
actively predating it usually when it comes to like them uh, feeding off of like animal tissue. Um, but I actually don't know, to be honest. All right. Well, if you want to Google it, because I got to use the bathroom world. So Ooh. we will take a break, which you won't know because we'll edit the silence out. All right. Bathroom break right. over. But yeah, um, turns out there is like one species of butterfly is that is strictly carnivorous in the U.S., but um, most of them are herb herbivorous and then some are omnivorous where they'll have both, but a lot of them are scavengers. So if they're carnivorous, what are they eating? Uh, the one species that is, is eating a lot of insect larvae, so like aphids and things. Oh, the really tiny ones. Yeah. Hmm. It's like whales. They eat the krillin, which is like the tiniest organism on Earth. Yeah, I know. And yet they are massive. I don't get it. But that's not my job, too. That's yours. Um, <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> so onward we go. Yeah. Oh, I, actually, before we go onward, now's a good place to plug in the commercial. So everyone... Uh, Geek Therapeutics wants you to feel like the superhero who defeated the villain in your favorite comic book. Imagine what it's like to be in an anime character's shoes. Feel proud during the instant you raised your arms in victory after conquering a Dungeons & Dragons quest. And cherish the moment you hugged your teammates after winning that esports tournament. They want you to use geek culture and its artifacts such as video games, anime, fan fiction, comic books, pop culture, esports, and tabletop RPGs to unlock the best version of yourself and others. Approved by almost every almost big organization like the American Psychological Association, NBCC, play therapists. I think the social workers hopped on too. All of them have approved these trainings. So all these trainings count for your CEs, PDs, whatever you call them, and certifications. You can check them out at geektherapeutics.com. Use the special link in the description and, uh, and subscribe to their awesome content and begin to learn how to mix the wonder of fun with the bettering humanity. Wait, so they use, like, pop culture, anime, and other, like, what people traditionally consider, like, geek, weeby things as, like, a method to, like, better people mentally? like just Yeah, like, to deliver state. psychological treatment. That's wild. That's kind of hilarious, but that's wild. Wow. In fact, I was the first person in the country to earn it. Actually, the world, technically. <laughs> Wait, earn, like... The certification to be a certified geek therapist. Huh. Damn. That's pretty... That's impressive. I'm impressed. Thanks. I honestly got lucky and saw the ad on Facebook and just committed real fast. <laughs> that's cool. Is there... Uh, I'm wondering, are there, like, go-to examples that you always use? Me, specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So, when friends... So, everyone knows I work with kids. So, when friends move away or move on, I use the fairy tale send-off. Okay. For okay. Kids. If you don't know yeah. fairy tale, when you leave the guild, there's three rules you have to follow. Don't share sensitive information. Something else really sappy. And then oh no, something else really pragmatic. And then the last one's like, uh, for as long as you shall live, never forget those blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And like live your life to the fullest, blah, 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 even though they're not nearby. I don't know, okay. stuff like that. I use the fairy tale send-off a lot for that. My little pony, I use a ton because it's school appropriate and people don't hate it, so they'll pay attention. Oh, okay. 
Okay, cool. Neat. Yeah, I like have no like that's the thing is like ever since undergrad, ever since Mason, because my tech work, I'm in remote places and I'm not getting paid that much. I don't have access to Wi-Fi or barely have access to phone cell service. Um, I haven't like kept up with like most pop culture or anime or anything. So I feel like I would just sit there and be like, I guess I can like quote Gurren Logon or something and hope for the best. Like <laughs> it's still going strong. People love it. Still. Don't worry. <laughs> Wait, are you not on Wi-Fi right now? I am on Wi-Fi now. Now oh. that I'm in my master's. Yeah. I pay for Wi-Fi. I'm we out here, but uh, there was a good period of time where I was like basically off the grid. That makes sense. Why well, I never heard from you since 2013, 12. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, basically 2015 till 2018, I was in the woods. Did you grow the beard and everything? Um, I had a period of time where it was pretty unruly. Yeah, and the hair. There was a lot of curls. It's kind of wild. But I had to re-enter society at some point. And then man buns got popular, and I was like, damn, I missed my opportunity. Did you do a man bun while it was unruly? No. No. For those who want to know now, you could check out the Instagram and see Joel's photo, but crew cut. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was shocked when I saw when I logged onto your defense. I was like, whoa, you cut your hair real short. Yeah. I just it was like literally two nights before. I was like, yeah, I'm cutting it all off. We're doing this. And now look, thriving. Right. Yep. Thriving. Actually unhinged. <laughs> well, speaking of unhinged, this next question may cause that as well. Do you remember how we met? Oh, God. No, I feel like we met through Charles, but I don't remember. Like, I don't remember. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie either. I didn't. That's why I wanted to ask. Damn, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was through Charles. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was through Charles, too, but I have no idea. Like, ah, uh, some things are just going to be mysteries. So, shout out to Charles again. Hey, hey. Yeah, dude. Shout out to Charles. What's up? Hope you're doing well. I assume you're still in Northern Virginia. I have no idea. Don't doubt his location. <laughs> no, but, so, awesome. Okay, now that we are mutually just here to vibe and have no idea how we know each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so everyone that come, went to Mason, I asked these standard questions too, and we get a yeah. whole mix of results. Okay. Did you worship the crane god? Oh, shit, the crane god. Oh, okay, yeah. Um. No, I feel like, and I don't know, did this, I don't know if what I'm thinking of ended up becoming part of larger undergrad Mason culture or if it was just a weird thing that me and my friends did. But I think we created like a sub-religion between the Patriot and the Gunston. And my 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 prayers and loyalties were towards the Gunston. Um, so what, maybe like the it's bus. like, well, like, yeah, there's like the bus, right? But like the Gunston itself is like this like thing that they like Mason created. It was like this mascot thing that like wasn't the Patriot. It was like this green fur. It almost looked like a cryptid. Like, I thought it was kind of like a cryptid. What on earth like, are you talking about? Wait, no, this has to be real. I spent, like, at least two years making up a fake religion about it. <laughs> it's gotta okay, be real. Here's the thing. 
I fully believe that you people like you enough to follow this religion. How many followers did you amass? Oh, like none. But there's got to be an image of like the Gunston. Because I'm thinking oh. the Gunston go bus. Yeah, I'm only getting the bus. All right. Well, yeah, here's like the thing. Although this is like a, car a character caricature of it. Is there like a better photo of this? Look no, at that's, us. That's Deep like diving too, Mason. Yeah, that's like too tiny. That's like no good. We can't have that. Oh, well, it was just like this green furry thing with like a Patriot hat. Oh, there we go. Here's a better photo. Do you mind if I... Uh, oh, no, share. Go for share? it. All right, hold up. Actually, this is really tiny, too. We'll see if we can even see it. Let's find out. Sorry, viewers. Um, I will happily describe what this is to you. Um, it's probably going to, like... Can you see that at all? Like, that thing? That's, like, in the oh, middle there? Okay, so it looks like Elmo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I kind of, like... I think it's, like, their version of trying to, like, make a cryptid. Like... That was my like, so yeah, that was me. I my loyalties lied with the Gunston, the minor deity. Minor. I think it's minor. I think the crane god probably had most control. I mean, with the amount of worshippers it had, yeah, exactly. Like also, I will say you're the first person to actually understand what I'm asking. So thank you for validating <laughs> that this crane god was a real thing. Oh yeah, dude, that was like. That was definitely a real thing. That was like, uh, I feel like when we were in undergrad was when the like the heavy use of social media and like these like Facebook groups ended up just like creating these subcultures. And now a lot of that has just become normalized and like has been pushed to TikTok. But like the crane god and things like that is like original examples of like that nonsense. And it was... Honestly, it was beautiful and kind of campy, but I love it. So it was hilarious. People used to leave offerings for this thing. Yeah. People would dedicate their frat parties to it. Yeah. And then get kicked off campus, but you know, it's fine. Actually, they couldn't even get kicked off. I don't think Mason had like frats on campus. They didn't. Yeah. Cause Where like, are they going to shove them? Yeah, I know. That's true. Cause I'm here at WVU now and that. <laughs> Frats here are wild. <laughs> They're like dumpster fires a lot. Have you seen a couch on fire? Yes. I've also seen people like sledding down like main streets and like running into cop cars and then proceeding to try and run away and then get arrested. Pretty regularly. Although COVID's kind of slowed that down, but now that things are opening up again. <laughs> kind uh, of. It didn't slow it down, just kind of. Kind of, because it all just became like house parties. It just became like not as blatant. Now it's like you go in downtown and whew, you hit it right. Like I'm sitting there like I'm not driving. I'm going to hit like 12 people because they just don't care that I'm in a vehicle. Yeah, I'm happy I went to Mason and I'm happy I didn't go during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, dude, that would have been terrible. The pandemic would have just like, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine being an undergrad during the pandemic. And I have to teach undergrads. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you taught too. Yeah. So I, um, so because of COVID and when it hit, it messed up one of my field seasons and like that threw a bunch of things off for me. So I had to extend my stay here because originally I was supposed to graduate May of 2021. Oh, a whole um, year. 
Yeah. But because of COVID messing up my field season, we ended up adding an extra field season to my work. But you know what that also means? It means at keeping me on here, which also means needing more money. Yeah. We didn't have that. So I had to find money somehow, which involved teaching. Um, so I taught for a year completely remotely um, some of the biology labs and stuff here. Which was a cool experience for sure. Um, but yeah, like I just tried to be as sympathetic as I could to these kids because like a lot of them were coming in and it was like COVID and it was just like their their ideas of like what undergrad was like was kind of crushed. So oh well, back to a happier place food. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, your undergrad. Um, what was your go-to place in the JC? Ooh, the Johnson Center. Let's go. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if I have a go-to place, but I will say the most consistent place I'd go to was there was a there was like a breakfast joint in there. I would always get like a a a, a bagel sandwich in the morning, like an egg and cheese sausage bagel sandwich. I have no idea what the place was called, but I would was always it the beans go there. Place? Beans? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, maybe. I, honestly, I, all I know is it was near, uh, it was like really close to like the, the stair, the, like the square staircase that was like right outside of it, which was like in the middle. Cause there was like the food court, there's that square staircase. And then there was like where the library was in the JC or the bookstore. It was like the bookstore or something. Um, yeah, that place I'd go to all the time. Cause I always had morning classes. So I would just pop in there, get a, a bagel sandwich and then be out of there and then what'd you do the rest of the day um rest of the day man what did i do in undergrad to be honest um most of the time in undergrad if i wasn't getting food or doing homework i was um fortunate enough to do some research actually i was uh part of an undergrad research program and i won some grants and scholarships to do research. Um, basically one of my physics professors, I just hit him up and I was like, Hey man, I want to do like animal stuff, but I can't find that here. And you seem really cool. And neuroscience seems kind of cool. And so he let me do it. And when I was like 19, I was learning how to like uh, do brain surgery on rats. And keep... I was about to say, were you the one drowning the rats? No. So, I mean, I don't know this might turn people off, but how, how it worked for us uh, was we would anesthetize, we would anesthetize the rat with like um, a gas. I forget what gas we used in a chamber. And then we literally had a tiny red guillotine and we would behead the rat. And then essentially from there extract the whole brain. <laughs> and then um, I would make these different fluids to mimic what, fluids are actually in our brains like in mammalian brains and you put the brain in that to keep it alive and then i would go and like take the parts of the brain that i need slice them up really small and keep those slices alive too so i'd keep them on oxygen and all this stuff to like do my research work which was like wild to me like i never thought in a million years i would ever do that as a dude who just wanted to like learn about snakes um but yeah that's what i did actually i did a lot of, of research with neuroscience that's um but, like, 
I'm like thinking all these things now. Like, okay, so this is where my, I guess, shit comes in. Are, are they feeling pain still if the brain's alive? Or there's no receptors to feel pain? So, yeah, they're all anesthetized. So, no, I mean, like, once you have the brain out of the mouse, does the brain feel? But I was like, no, there's no pain. Receptors. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. But it is weird. I will, and once again, sorry, audience, potentially, like, this might be like a, like, I could see people getting turned off. But one of the weirdest experiences I ever had um, in that lab was one time we finished decapitating a, a rat it was you know totally anesthetized decapitated it um and you have to kind of break through the skull right to get access to the brain okay and yeah. um one of the easiest ways to kind of manipulate the head and like get leverage is like you put your hands like in its jaws right and um even though we've decapitated the head like the brain's still firing and one time I could like actually feel like the jaw, like gnawing, like moving as I, and I was like, I have to be professional, but this is so weird. Like, Oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> okay. I, I don't think they would have blamed you for like being like, Oh my God, what on earth? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And you was... said these were rats or mice. Um, we did both, but mostly it was rats. Mostly it was rats. I was about to say mice are tiny. Rats can get huge. I know. So that was the thing that, right. There's a, tr once again, this is kind of messed up, but this is kind of how science works and, and research is it's kind of messed up in the way that they're trade-offs. So rats, bigger animal, bigger brain. So you get more mass, which is useful when it comes to trying to replicate experiments and stuff. But one of the downsides is that it has a thicker skull. So it's like harder to get beyond the skull. Mice, smaller, um, less mass so less replications sometimes as well as the fact that it's easier to get into the skull but because it's so much smaller it's uh, there's less space to manipulate so it, it it's harder to do everything properly okay uh were these mice and rats i don't know or is rodents appropriate like yeah rodents were they bred at mason or yeah. okay yeah there was there was a, a colony so um, do you, I don't, I mean, you know, it's one of those buildings that was kind of out of the way. There's this building, I don't even know if it's there now, I assume it is. Cruise, right? It was the Krasnow Institute of Advanced Study. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you don't remember it, that's fine. I mean, most people don't because it's not like an undergrad place to go. But no, I, I thought building. it was Krug, like the one like by Masonvale. Yeah, uh, no, I'm not, it's not where I work. There was this... Yeah, I know there's another one because I know the building you say, and it was kind of like behind sub one more, more towards the graduate yep. section. Yep. yep. Behind East or whatever it was yep. called. Yeah. It's like there's like this little industrial kind of area there. It had like some, yeah, it was behind all that. Um, yeah. So that was definitely one of the weirdest experiences for sure. And I never thought I was going to do that. The only other one was, um, I know this has nothing to do with your question, but. I forgot um, the question anyway, so I'm, yeah, um, I'm fascinated. I, I was working as an intern at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute in Front Row, Virginia, for a little while, um, and so yeah. many people out there. Yeah, so Mason, Mason, and it's funny because I didn't get there through the Mason School program. Like that's how a lot of people know about that place. I just, 
I guess because I'm popular, <laughs> like you said, <laughs> uh, some people vouched for me and I ended up uh, getting an internship out there. Um, I was working on a variety of things, but one of the things I did on the side was I was a hoofstock keeper. And so they have all these super endangered hoofstock species. So like, um, uh, like Shavalsky horses, if you've ever heard of those, those are like the wild Mongolian horses. They have them there. Um, they have uh, a species that's kind of close to my heart, which is the scimitar horned oryx. They're, they were extinct in the wild back when I was there, but because of the work I did there as part of a larger project, we now have them in the wild again in Africa, which is cool. So that's that's a success story that I, I, I take pride in being part of. Um, but the weird thing about it was um, because it's a zoo and because it's a conservation area, like a C2S2 is what they're called, um, you have to you want to promote genetic diversity and like all that stuff. So part of that is like seeing who gets paired up with who and like mating and all that stuff. And a lot of the times that's not done naturally, like there's artificial insemination and that's also part of like research work out there. And so one of the weirdest things was like watching and like being part of them, like extracting semen from like male like scimitar horned oryx, like that was kind of just like a brutal experience. Like, cause they have like, like how it works is um, they have like this electric, essentially like an electrode that they stick up the anus and like electro ejaculate the animal essentially. Right. And so like, I don't know, like, I just like, I knew that that's what I was going to be helping with, but I didn't know. Like I didn't on an emotional know, that was level, the method. I didn't know. Yeah. That's like part, that's like part of it. Um, and so, right, you anesthetize the animal and then they, they essentially do that. And it's, um, it's kind of weird, obviously, right. It's kind of weird, but one of the things that I'll never forget is the repro, the reproductive team, right. So they're the team that does a lot of this work. The, one of the head scientists for that, he does that kind of stuff all over the world. So he like travels all over the world. And so they always, get into conflict or you you always get weird looks when you're trying to carry that kind of um machinery yeah. yeah machinery and equipment in into airports so like you know security is like well what's this for and they're like well do you want us to test it <laughs> and then security figures out what it is and they're like no it's fine we, we don't have to worry about it so I didn't know you were also out there too. So let me ask you this. Did you meet Chris with the crane? Yeah, actually that's hilarious. Yeah. I <laughs> thought it was hilarious that that blew up on the internet. So yes, I know Chris. Um, I don't know him that well. I wasn't part of the bird team, but as someone who worked with hoofstock, right. I, I got to interact with the other animal keepers. Um, and yeah, that's so funny out of everyone there. That's part of the bird team. Like he's the person that like, is the most introverted like everyone else that's like well a lot of the people i knew at the time way more likely to like actively try to become tiktok famous but this man just blew up and literally like super quiet super quiet dude super nice awesome guy but just like not the type so no. it was hilarious to, to i'm to facebook friends with him like yeah. so nice also were you there with kyle monahan Monahan, Monahan, Monahan. Red hair, him. very pale. He worked <sighs> with plants mostly. 
No, I don't think I was. I don't think I was. I was there 2015 through most of 2016. You might have been there, just never have met. Anyways, everyone, Kyle Monahan's episode eight, and he tells me all about how he met Chris with the crane. Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> and nice. all about how he wanted to work with animals, but he was stuck at plants, so that's why he left and went to a zoo. But gotcha, okay. But yeah. okay, so see, I'm not crazy about Chris and the crane. Everyone, I know we're talking a lot about cranes of all types here, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's just funny to me because like as an intern there, I lived in what they called Leech House um, on the property. And so my morning commute, I would just walk from the house to where I'd work. I'd pass Walnut every day. Like I knew it was Walnut cause Walnut's always freaking out because Walnut's like kind of crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> Do you... leads a great lead. You're on TikTok, I assume because you keep mentioning it. Maybe no. Okay. Oh, Damn it. Because okay. there is a emu on TikTok. Okay. Named Karen. And okay. she and okay, so it's it's a lady who has a farm somewhere in like the Midwest. I don't know. Okay. It's, yeah. It's always snowy there whenever I look. But so she has the farm and she has a million animals on the farm. And we all watch it for when Karen's in the TikToks. Because Karen is super aggressive. Apparently, Karen was sadly mm-hmm. abused like okay. when she was young. And like so sure. Sure. the lady who owns the farm, which I wish I knew her name. Because you know, she's a person, she deserves to have her name known. But let's be honest, we're all here to watch like this bird dinosaur try to kill this lady every day (laughs) literally jurassic park but like literally attacks or goes after this lady but she does like a jedi hand and like karen will stop oh okay and like so she'll be in the middle of like talking about like oh blah 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 blah, and like throw her hand out and all of a sudden she'll just show real fast that karen was trying to charge from across the farm nice and also because karen is mates with stanley and Stanley loves everyone. You could she dresses Stanley up and everything in these like little cat outfits that she like the hats and people crochet wow. stuff. But okay. meanwhile, Karen is always just ready to kill the poor yeah. farmer. Huh. And we all love it because she's like, Well, this is Stanley, everyone, and Karen's over there about to charge. <sighs> oh, and yeah. Who yeah. knew emu sounded like a dinosaur? Yeah, no, they're yeah, I know. Large birds, incredibly terrifying. Um that's pretty cool though. I didn't know. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I will send you the link next time I find a Karen video. Okay. Yeah. Please do. I um I was gonna say the only emu farm I've ever seen or like anything like that was in like the upstate of South Carolina. It was like emus and alpacas. And I was like, this just seems odd. She has alpacas, she has ducks, she has everything. And I'm trying to remember, there was also this other place in the low country of South Carolina that I worked at. I was doing gopher tortoise surveys on like a wildlife management area. This is a super like rural area, like very low, like low um, population density. It's one of those places where like, if I didn't like in those four years that I was in the woods, if I didn't want to see another person, I could actively not see another person for like multiple days if I wanted to. Like, I could just do that. Kind of hard to think about now, but uh, a nightmare. But uh, I think I can't remember if it was an emu or an ostrich. But one day they got out, and I remember we were driving to go to our sites, and there were just these two emus just on the road, just blocking traffic. <laughs> And we were all like, 
what the heck is happening? Turns really? Out, yeah. That's what you were thinking? I would have been running out of the car screaming Jumanji. <laughs> Look, we, we were just like, what the heck? Uh, I Honestly, I was more concerned if someone else showed up and just shot it because I was in the low country of South Carolina and someone would just do that. So Fair, but also like to save yourself from Jumanji, I would probably be okay with it. <laughs> because <laughs> i would assume jumanji was happening yeah yeah which by the way if you've seen the newer jumanji movies which you might not have because you're out in the middle of nowhere half the time yeah uh, i actually haven't because it's the the rock right he's yeah. kind of one of the main characters yeah yeah Mr. no there's a whole like sequence with like ostriches attacking oh so okay. emus ostriches like all right they're giant birds i have to watch the new jumanji there's two. They're great. And there's a third one in the makings. Uh, it might be out by the time your episode comes out. Who knows, anyway? Yeah, but who knows? back to the original questions. Past the cranes, drowned rats, experimenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your pilot house order? Oh, um... Oh, what a transition. Um, pilot house, pilot house. Yeah. Um, let me think. That's like a that's like a three a.m. or four a.m. or kind of place. Um, I think I usually got the po' boy there. Like if they had a shrimp po' boy, that's what I remember usually getting at Pilot House. That was my go-to. Which is weird to think that I'd be eating fried shrimp at like three a.m. But here we are. Also, I can't hear you. Sorry, I was saying we were. That was the age. Yeah, it's true. Also, Pilot House closed like two years after we graduated. Sadly. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. I wonder if they replaced it. They did not. Oh. Weird. Nah. Yeah, you know where I am. I'm right by Mason. I find out all the Mason. Uh, true, uh, true, true. That's right. You keep updated. Yep. All right. So on the preform you filled out, you mentioned some other hobbies that I want to chat about. True. You said you weightlift. Tell me yeah. all that, those statistics that you're in the data. Yeah. Um... Uh, mostly it's a coping mechanism uh, is what it ended up being. Uh, Cause when you're, you know, you're in the field and like when I'm in the field doing turtle work, I basically just become a turtle. Like I just, my whole life is revolved around the field. But once I'm out of the field, my whole life becomes revolved around keeping up with all my like grad school responsibilities and classes and research and talks and whatever the state decides to randomly throw at me as like extra things I have to do. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah. And so I really needed to find something to do to like keep me kind of active because like I learned in like 2017 was it 2017? Yeah, I learned in 2017 that um, I've always had these like foot issues and like ankle issues when I was growing up. And I just literally like this is just a mentality thing and like how I grew up. I just thought I was being a baby. I just thought I was being like a little bitch. And that's why like and I, I should just get over it. Turns out I wasn't. I had serious bone issues <laughs> like uh, how my bones were formed when I like were was born were like messed up but they were never fixed so here i am and so i used to run a lot that's like what i would do i'd like run a mile or two um and then they told me yeah you can't run anymore like you should stop that forever that's like a terrible idea for you so i've taken that and transposed it into weightlifting um so i'd go 
before I got injured in my shoulder, I was going like three, four times a week, which was nice. And then I would like row. I I got I picked up rowing. Um, rowing is actually fun. Yeah, we had a um, fellow grad student's husband, big rower. He uh, did it in Oxford when he was at Oxford. Um, so I just picked it up from him. It was a lot of fun. It was awesome. No, that's super cool. Uh, what's the heaviest that you would lift? Um, the heaviest I think ever might have been like 175 on bench. Yeah, that seems about right for bench. And then I might have hit like 210 on squat. Wow. That's That was years ago, though. Now... Especially like post injury, I'm probably closer to like 145 on bench. And I couldn't even tell you what I squat now. So nothing, nothing amazing, but it's more of a like, please, I need to be active. Like I need serotonin. I need something. Also, I'm getting fat because stress. <laughs> oh, okay. So when I graduated from grad school, I lost 30 pounds in a month. That's incredible. I didn't do anything though. I didn't change my diet. I just just literally graduated and it just disappeared off me. And I was like, what on earth? I was also pissed because so part of why I love Savannah, right when after I graduated, me and I don't remember if you remember Brad. Brad I do remember Brad. Yeah. So Brad and I were still hanging out. Actually, we still hang out. We're supposed to play league later tonight. Anyways, so (laughs) the people on the podcast will know. I mean Brad are always playing league. But Brad, who, by the way, if you want to catch his episode, episode 19, but um, Brad and I were going to celebrate our graduation from grad school. We were going to Hilton Head. Nice. Nice. Hilton Head's cool. Yeah. And that's how we always stopped in Savannah because we went one time before and we stopped in Savannah randomly because we were like a week in Hilton Head. Eh. But Savannah's right there. Yeah. So, but like I was pissed because I lost all this weight. It's like, God damn it. I don't have any bathing suits. Yeah, so like you don't fit right. Yeah, damn. Thirty pounds in a month. Can, can you yeah. imagine? And that some some would say that's unhealthy, even. <laughs> but was it unhealthy because I took out the unhealthy part of my life? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know, but no, it was actually um, interesting. I lost a, I lost like sixty pounds in six months, but thirty of it was in the first month. That's so wild. Like I definitely gained weight in grad school. Oh yeah, but I mean, I did I'm, not think it was that much worth, and suddenly it was like, boom. Yeah, I'm definitely the heaviest I've ever been right now. I'm like, I'm probably actually, well, yeah, I just went to the doctor. I think I I topped out at like 207, which is like the heaviest I've ever been. I weigh more than you, but <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's that's from all the the flag the all the the flag twirling and stuff. It's also all the f- good food up here, but. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know the area. You know Centerville's right there. Yeah, yeah. The the t- Korean the Korean barbecue slaps. It's so good in that area. Mm-hmm. I go to the hot spot too, or hot pots. Yeah, yep. Although to be fair, I'm also randomly losing weight again, and I don't know why. But whatever. We take them. We take those wins. Those are W's. That, is that true? They are. Sorry, we'll drop the pen. But okay, so weightlifting, awesome. You write poetry. Yeah, not so much anymore. Grad school is really good at killing hobbies. Um, But from middle, even middle school, I was kind of dabbling in poetry stuff Um, through high school, through parts of undergrad. I would just, it just seemed like something kind of easy and I like to play with words. So I would just write little poems and stuff. Um, 
none of it really amounted to anything I would say substantial. Like I remember I was interested in it enough that I did take a like a poetry class in in at Mason just because I could. Um and that was fun. Um but no, nah, it never turned into anything focused. It was mostly cathartic. But I love, you know, I love doing it. It's kind of fun. Oh, okay. So what kind of poetry would you describe yours? Um, I think, it's a good question. Uh, I was all over the place because I was like, a lot of it was me just trying to emulate other stuff. Like I'd be like, okay, today I'm going to try and do this kind of like prose style, or I'm going to try and do like a haiku, or I'm going to try and do, um, free form or like whatever. Um, and I'd play with rhyme schemes, but I think I ended up liking, um, kind of this like free form style where the syntax and like the number of syllables could vary widely, but I kept to a pretty like strict rhyme scheme of like, um, A, A, B, B, but I would like vary that sometimes would be a b b sometimes would be like a b a b and stuff like that um so i liked some rhyme but it just depended on the mood and whether i was trying to be pissed off or if i just wanted to do some like intense like hyper superflu superfluous description of like nature or something oh that was my next question what's the subject matter matter of your poetry yeah yeah, a lot of it ended up having, like, nature themes, for sure. Um, sometimes it would just be, like, absurd, abstract stuff, just being, like... And then randomly, you know, like, it, like, it, like taking some... Like, trying to take some emotion and just, like, um, fit some object to that emotion and just carry that to its logical end, right? And so that would like always come up in like weird ways, like where like I'd like I'd play with these insane ideas of like, OK, well, like love and hate. Those are two opposite emotions. Like what are two opposite objects and how would they interact? And you'd have this like weird ass poem about like, I don't know, like a, uh, a shovel and like a plane or something somehow interacting with each other and rhyming and rhyming. Um which is why I think anyone who's listening to this would realize I don't actually think I'll ever make a career out of poetry. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know if anyone truly makes a career out of poetry. Everyone yeah. has a day job, but yeah. true. And don't come at and don't come at me with hate people. We all know I support lots of writers on here. I bring them on. We do their thing, but most of them have a day job too. And we talk about that when you listen to their episodes. Yeah, I mean, most, I mean, this isn't, uh, like, writing and creative arts, but, I mean, a lot of Olympians, Olympians have day jobs, and that's kind of weird to think about. I mean, yeah, I can imagine. You can't be at the gym the whole time. You'll injure yourself. Yeah, but it's just weird. It's like, I'm literally the best at this thing in the world that people sort of care about, and yet I still have to, like, be an accountant. You're like, what? Those sponsorships only come once every four years. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But uh, last question about your poetry. How long was it about when you would write it? Um, yeah, so so some of them would be as small, like as short as four lines, and then others would be like three or four pages. Um, I would say on average, we're looking at 
two or three uh wow what's the term i actually don't know what the term is anymore i'm, I'm so detracted but just like chunks like stanzas stanzas yes yes thank you um like two to three stanzas was typical okay no that's super cool uh no i don't know if you knew everyone on here knows my writing uh my minors in writing so oh nice cool which i got on a fluke as well oh okay <laughs> I randomly just took a couple like creative writing classes because you know you need those upper level credits yep. to get out of Mason. And then I was in my last semester and I was like, I have an entire semester of electives. What on earth do I do? Mm-hmm. And then I looked up like the requirements for an, a minor in English focused and concentrated in writing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. It's all fancy names. And I was like, oh my God, I could get a second minor. Nice. And I was like, well, guess I'm committing. And that's how I got two minors. Yeah, nice. Cool. That's kind of what I ended up doing. I, I don't think I got two minors, though, but like I ended up uh, getting a minor in chemistry because the biology stuff I had to do, I ha- already had to do so much chemistry anyways. I figured why not just add the two extra classes? That's exactly how all the nurses have psych minors. Makes sense. Which could never, but <laughs> I don't know. I know biology is your thing biology disgusts me cells are gross to me like yeah yeah not a mic don't microscope anything for me thank you world (laughs) all right so another horrible pivot of a topic so on the pre-form you said that you're the proud son of illegal immigrants yeah yeah so i guess now that i think about like how i wrote that i guess i I sensationalized that a bit but um i mean so my parents came um to the u.s in the late 80s and i think they have a pretty typical story when it comes to like the immigrant story and the fact that um my parents came here to have a better life essentially like uh, they they thought they had better economic opportunities here and so um from what i remember it's been a while since i've asked them about this but they essentially kind of got like fake identities like they paid a gratuitous amount of money for fake identities and then they traveled separately on different flights um and then met up right after um getting through security in the u.s and then the person that they were supposed to meet up with to take them to where they thought they wanted to go which was northern virginia um bailed like it was the guy that gave that gave all the money to like just bailed like never found them ever again um and so they found a a community of a bunch of other Portuguese people who did a similar thing um, and they just rolled with them. And that's how they got into like Northern Virginia. Um, And I remember this detail. I can't remember if it was my dad or my mom told me, but like my mom had to fake being someone else's wife (laughs) to like help convince the like um, border, like security to like let them come through. Um, but that was before I was born. Then they were here for a few years, and basically they worked really hard to get money to then get a lawyer to to become not like to get their permanent residency. Um, and that got kind of wild because right around when that happened, my mother's father died, and my mother was very pregnant with me. She was like pretty late in. And in the early 90s, they didn't have the same laws that they do now when it comes to pregnancy and flights. And so my mom was able to go back to Portugal to her father's funeral. 
and that coincided with me being like, it's time. Oh. And so uh, my mom stayed there for like a little while longer uh, because I was born there. Um, and so then I came back. Honestly, I don't know how much longer. It must have been like a month or two. And that was right around the time where they had enough money to get everything. So me, my mom, and my dad all got permanent resident status at the same time. I was literally just about to wonder. So for those who've listened to this podcast long enough, they know that I know immigration too well. Because half of my family is all immigrants. Technically because I'm adopted from Hong Kong to an immigrant from Hong Kong. Like, technically, I had to go through the process. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we were born in the same year. So it didn't matter that, like, my parents were citizens at the time because I was adopted. Like, that law didn't come until, like, later in the 90s. Yeah. So I'm, I went through the process. My sister went through the process. And then a lot of my aunts and uncles and cousins married people that didn't have citizenship. So we've been through immigration a lot. But, yeah, yeah when you said you were born over there, I was like, oh, wait you don't have parents nope. who had the status. So yeah. Wow. So I, yeah, I still retain my EU passport from Portugal. Nice. And <laughs> okay. You want to hear a funny story actually? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So I had a friend who immigrated here from Mexico when he was okay. three. And so I was like, Oh, so you have a green card and it took us three years to realize permanent residency cards and green cards are the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, you don't have the green card. It's not green. It's pink. <laughs> and he was like, no, I have a permanent residency card literally three years. And then we both felt like idiots. Yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> nice. We kept going through. I was like, okay, which rights do you have? And yeah. We going, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. so horrible in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, so it, I don't know. It's like, it's super, it's definitely part of my identity for sure, right? Kind of that backstory and kind of where the choices my parents made and how that impacted my life is definitely something I carry for a lot, forward a lot. I think it's also, there's there's got to be something psychological about like, okay, you know, your parents made this huge risk coming from this like, really small basically unknown country at the time like people don't really know about portugal most people know more about brazil than portugal right it's like a bigger country um and there's got to be some psychology behind that with like how like i was always fascinated with like um reptiles and amphibians that like most people disregard because they're kind of like these underdog slimy things and it's like well yeah like i'm an immigrant i'm kind of like this like not really highly regarded thing growing up like just kind of like this like weird person like i was like it's kind of weird this is a tangent in a way but did you ever did you watch ed and eddie growing up barely but yeah barely okay um ed and eddie right that show is like very much about like suburban life and so like i related to that a lot because i did live in suburbia northern virginia and so uh the one character in that show is like rolf like rolf was a character who's like this batshit like insane character that would always talk about his like grant like his mother's back hair and like all these things and these farm animals and all that stuff and like as a kid i was just like yo this character's crazy like what the heck but now that i've gotten older i've realized that like that character was me like i was the immigrant i was the people that people thought was like weird because like my family came from like rural farming community and like all this stuff and we had weird traditions so yeah 
Oh, which is so odd to think because you're so close to Fairfax, mm-hmm. <laughs> where everyone was immigrating. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's weird. Yeah, I know. It's like, and I, yeah, and that's like something that uh, I. I feel like I took for granted. I definitely took for granted growing up in Northern Virginia and how diverse Northern Virginia is. Like you have so many different cultures and things. And like one thing that you do learn about the wildlife world, I think it's changing a bit, but like when it comes to like getting into wildlife professionally, all that stuff, it's still very much a white person's game. Mm -hmm. Um, There are really not too many other, um, like there's not much of a, a diversity, even within my program, like, we have a lot more women now for sure. Like I think 10, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of women that were going into wildlife work and getting in masters and PhDs. Um, now we have a lot more women, but when it comes to like African-Americans or Latinos or Asian Americans or anything like that. Um, yeah. You don't see too much of that at all. Yeah. It's, it is changing. Yeah. We started with women in STEM and now we're just going for everything. Yeah all these movements it works people just like no don't smoke yeah don't smoke <laughs> don't smoke it worked it took like two decades but it worked yeah and now vaping's coming in right just to... and i fully believe that like oh yeah because we all cut our plastic like mm-hmm. can things yeah yeah the, so yeah. give it a few more years and the turtles will be saved with these straws hopefully yeah the only problem is boba oh, i love boba oh my god it's so good I know it's hard uh, to replace those straws. Got to get okay. my straw. I don't think you sensationalize their story. I think immigration stories are super important to share. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like some, in a way, like how I said that, it's like, oh, they're still illegal. Like it's been twenty, you know, thirty years. Like no, no, no. Like they were responsible. We we did our thing and and got uh, citizenship. And so much so that um, my brother, who's younger than me, was born in the U.S., so he has citizenship. And then not too long ago. I helped my mother go through the naturalization process. So my mom's also an American citizen. When did you become a citizen? I'm not. Oh. I'm still a Portuguese. I'm an EU citizen still. Okay. Um, which is kind of weird. I think. It's a, it's a weird thing to say I helped my mom naturalize, but I never got naturalized, I think. I mean, um, it's a personal choice. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of those things where now I'm starting to get of the age where I'm like, oh, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of uh, like it was definitely part of my identity. But there are some practical reasons why I probably should become a U.S. citizen. At the end of the day, it really is just a piece of paper. Like I shouldn't really tie it so much to my identity, but uh, it's I a work, process. I work in a lot in the adoption community. I could talk to you about that for days. But yeah. I would say, because you don't speak Portuguese and you lived here your whole life. Well, I do. I do speak Portuguese. Oh, yeah, you do. We just went over that. Yeah. I, I put a lot of effort as a child. Um, so at home, I would learn Portuguese at home, and then I would learn English in school. And then when my parents couldn't teach any more Portuguese because they we come from a very poor rural background. Like my mom had three years of schooling and then wasn't expected to go to school anymore. She was expected to work at home. My dad had four years, maybe five. And that was about it. Um, I was enrolled in a separate Portuguese school. So I would go to my regular K through 12 public school. And then I would go to Portuguese school to learn more Portuguese and and the culture and stuff like that. How far was that? (laughs) 
Um, I was fortunate. Uh, Manassas, Virginia has a pretty large Portuguese like community. So there was a community center in Manassas that I would go to. So not okay, typical, cool. which was Ooh. nice. No, because there's the whole reason I didn't go to Chinese school because my mom's like, I am not driving there. So yeah. you are spared. Plus, yeah, yeah. I don't want to deal with it. You probably don't want to deal with it. So we're not <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which also my dad didn't care about. Because for those who've listened long enough again, my dad's the one that's Chinese. My mom's white. So <laughs> she was just like, he doesn't care. Why am I going to put all this effort in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm monolingual. Gotcha. Yeah. Although, like, I don't actually know that much about Chinese. But being that it's such a huge country, I imagine, like, the dialects... Uh, like there's probably plenty of places in, in China where they don't like they clearly they know Mandarin, but they don't really speak Mandarin. Like they speak their own kind of like actually version. that's a whole thing right now because of Hong Kong, which is actually where I'm from. So that's a whole different political game right now. Yeah. Versus but, mainland China. Yeah. A lot. So Cantonese is what they speak mostly in like mm -hmm. Hong Kong and yep. other parts of Southern China. Cantonese is like actively being attempted to be driven out. Yeah. Of like the country by me by like mainland, and so it's this whole dichotomy because a lot of like I think the older people they can understand Mandarin but they don't speak it. Mm -hmm. So like my dad, he could watch any like Chinese show on Earth, and I'm like, you don't even speak Mandarin. He's like, yeah, but you get the gist. I'm like, it doesn't even sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I just developed the ability. I would say in grad school time for us. So like a few, like five-ish years ago to differentiate between the dialects. Okay. And I was like, I don't get how he gets it. Whatever. Not my life. Mm -hmm. Not my story. We're here for you. Not my family. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you basically answered everything. Um, actually, all the sub-questions. So good job. On to the next topic. Okay, Efficiency. so back to your academia world with your sure. stuff. You so... Uh, you told me you spent 10 days in Minamar to assist in Indian elephant research. Yeah, yeah. So that was super awesome. Uh, I got very fortunate. It was when I was at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute. Uh, I was able to go to Myanmar, or uh, maybe people, a lot of people might know it as Burma, the country. Um, oh, I always forget it's Burma. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think the U.S. called it Burma for a while for political reasons. Um they might still. I don't know. I, I don't know anymore. Um, I know Burma from the King and I. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Send gotcha. her back to Burma. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was there, and it was it was awesome. Like, I never thought I'd get to go to Myanmar, which is honestly one of the least explored countries in the world still, um, especially the northern part of the country. It's very much, like, still kind of wild. Um, I was in Yangon which is not the capital of Myanmar, but it's kind of like the cultural capital capital of, of the country. Um, and I lived in this apartment, which was, I think I still remember, it was the Shuayun Pin, which translates to the golden coconut palm. Because um, it was like yellow and white. It was like this big apartment complex. Um, and yeah, I was just there assisting with some Asian elephant work. Really, to be honest, I was mostly there as a pack mule. Um, they used me to bring, um, like materials and equipment for the people who are living there constantly doing the Asian elephant work and the elephant work that they were doing is a lot of tracking. So they're trying to track these elephants with these giant collars, 
um, GPS satellite collars to see where they're going and if they're having altercations with humans and things like that, like communities. Um, and so that was kind of interesting because I was taking a GPS collar from the US to Myanmar and my layover was in Beijing. So that got kind of wild because um, I had a few like border security guys yelling at me in Chinese. I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know what they were yelling <laughs> to me about, but I presumed it was about the giant 40 pound elephant collar I had. So I had an, uh, surprisingly had enough foresight as a, intern to print an image of an elephant collar like an elephant wearing one and i yeah. just kept, i kept pointing at it until he stopped yelling at me and it worked wow um but yeah anyways uh yeah i was there for 10 days it was super cool um and i got to go to this area called bagan which is um a unesco world heritage site and what it is is essentially this river valley. It's this, this wide river valley that has all of these small stone temples just dotting the landscape all, all over. Um, and these things are like five, 6,000 years old. Um, and literally just imagine me like six years younger and I'm just renting this electric scooter and I'm just running from temple to temple, checking them all out and seeing all the like sand art and they hire these like local people to like take care of the temple, which is really cool. So that's like their job. Um, and then the other big thing I did there, well, obviously I had to get food poisoning because like, you no. know, like what, like, was I really in Southeast Asia if I didn't get food poisoning? I think the answer is no. So you got to get food poisoning. It's just how it is. Um, street food was great literally ate it off the street. Like I watched him make it on the ground. It was awesome. Um, but I went to this other temple. It was like on top of this mountain and they, I don't remember what it's called, but uh, in Southeast Asia, there's this kind of this tradition where they take gold and they make it into these thin films of like, it's almost like paper. Um, I, there's a word for it. And I don't remember, but just all these temples were covered in it. It's, it's crazy. And so this temple just kind of glowed in like the daylight of just like this gold shimmer. And like, so you go up there and you check it out and there's just like all these monkeys everywhere, just like bothering people and <laughs> monkeys. Um, it was very just like, I mean, the word, the word nowadays is a vibe. It was definitely a vibe. So um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I basically took like a, a nine hour bus ride there. I just paid for a bus and went and like to go to that temple, there's this guy just rolled up in like this like small um, truck, like just this mini pickup truck. And he just was like, oh, we're going to this temple. Five bucks, jump in the back. So I just like jumped in the back with some Australian dudes and went to this temple. Wow. Well, at least they spoke English. So you weren't like in isolation for nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, fortunately I like learned just enough, um, Burmese to like keep a small conversation going. Look at you. There. See all you non-monolingual people just able to like <laughs> pick it up everywhere. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't remember 
I I can only remember uh I think what is it Minglaba? Yeah, Minglaba is just like hi, like hello. Uh I don't really remember anything else. The only other thing I remember is that um my first night there they took me to a bar and it was insanely cheap. Like we're talking like mixed drinks were like 10 cents. So, yeah. Th that's how that went. And um I remember the people I was with like all the researchers and stuff, they were like, oh, if you want someone's attention, you have to make like the kissy face. Like, and I was like, nah, you're messing with me. You're trying to get me like punched in the freaking face by the waitress. And they weren't joking. Like that's the only way you got their attention was that if you like make that noise. And I was like, this is weird, but all right, that's how it is. I got to try a bunch of like fried uh, bugs and stuff. It was kind of cool. Because you're not afraid of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what did you, or were there any findings like on this specific trip that you were on? Um, You know, I don't actually know. I never actually followed up with the crew, like with the crew. Because what ended up happening was that was part of someone's PhD research. And I've actually never followed up to see what they ended up finding. I do know that they had an incident where they figured out that one of the elephants basically, I mean, we can't say this for sure, but it showed alcoholic tendencies where it found like people's fermented rice wine <laughs> and it would break into that same house. Like we would trank, like they would trank it and like move it to a natural area, like like tens, hundreds of kilometers away and would come back like two or three days later to like break in to get more rice wine. <laughs> so it's like, oh, wow. I guess it's having a hard time. Um, but overall, I actually don't know, which is kind of sad. I probably should follow up with them to see what they learned. Yeah, because what if you're a part of like elephant research? Yeah. Well, I don't think – I'm definitely not on any of the papers if they published anything just because – But you could say you were on the trip. I was on the trip, which is cool. But You uh, helped. And I, I know, help. like, everything in academia and, like, your field, like, names do matter on what it's placed on. Yeah. But it doesn't always have to matter that way. You still got photos of you yeah, in Minamar I mean, that you could be like, look, I was there. Yeah, I mean, I it's on my CV. So it's a line on the CV. Oh, yeah, you probably do have a long-ass CV. That's actually something I was wondering, too. With all these, like, excursions and, like, herping and all mm -hmm. this stuff you've been on, what on earth is your resume like? Yeah, so how it works is um, you have a CV, which, for anyone who doesn't know, it stands for, I think it's Curriculum Vitae, which is essentially yeah. basically your life. Like, you just put your whole professional life on that document, and... Um, when it comes to applying to positions, um, it depends on the position, but a lot of times they just ask for your CV, but sometimes they will also ask for a resume. And the whole point of that is then you take from your CV and you make, you condense it down to the really relevant things for that position. And they want to see both a lot of the times, but my CV, um, I actually don't have my external hard drive with me right now, but I think my CV sitting at like seven or eight pages right now which is okay. I mean, there's some there's some other grad students I know here that have like 15 or 16 page CVs, which is like wild to me, but 
yeah. It's I cool. Would, it is cool to be like, oh yeah, I did do that. I forgot about that. Or you know. Let me tell you. So in education, like for working in schools, they basically want a CV. I don't care what the, everyone's saying. They want a CV because they were like, what did you do in high school? I'm like, mm -hmm. do you really want to know? And they're like, yeah, that makes you relatable to the kids. I'm like, okay. I was so, angry. <laughs> I had a whole conversation about that earlier today because a lot of people I work with at my work job now knew me in high school. Oh, that's kind of brutal. Well, depending on how it goes. I mean, I don't mind it, but yeah, yeah. I can say that like uh, some of the outbursts we hear from some students, it may have been the same words I was saying like 10 something years ago. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I've Love heard it. that before. <laughs> a glares. I'm like, stop. <laughs> this is why i'm good at my job i relate um <laughs> I really, yeah beautiful but yeah so no but like going through your cvs and resumes it's just like whoa i did do all this i actually had to make a cv for something i don't know where it is now but like because my resume had to be so extensive i was just like okay copy paste copy paste reformat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah uh mine is not eight pages long everyone mine's only like two and a half almost three yeah i mean it's just one of those things like right like i said there's a reason why uh it it was like four years in between my undergrad and masters those all those four years i was doing all these different things i've been talking about all these different jobs in different parts of the country and the in the world so well <laughs> off camera we should send it to each other to like investigate each other's lives yeah, yeah. Once I, I just, I think I left my external hard drive in the lab. So. Oh, no worries. <laughs> That's why I said whenever. But, yeah. okay, you answered that. So, fun cheer time. So, we're both the first people in our family to earn a master's degree. Like, what, what? Cool. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so, actually, earlier today, I saw that only 2% of the world has doctorates. Do you know what percent really? is master's? No, but... <sighs> I would imagine it's gotta be like, I would imagine it's gotta be like 15. Like, I feel like master's is, because the master's has become kind of the new bachelor's for a lot of different studies. Yeah. Uh, All right, I'm Googling it. Okay. I was gonna say, I, I was about to as well. Uh, Both. I'm seeing 13. Ayo. But I don't know. That might just be within the US. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about the whole world. It's the only time I'll be a part of a 1% people. So <laughs> that's yeah, why I'm clinging to it. Yeah. It's just, it is. I would imagine it's probably going up because the reality, like for me, like in wildlife, like the master's kind of is like, if you want a permanent job, you have to have a master's. Like it's like it can't happen. You can get super lucky or uh, you might work at a place long enough where they open up a permanent job for you. But more often than not, you need a master's if you want to get a permanent like biologist position or something like that. Yeah. And as a therapist, uh, your master's is like your bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that a hundred percent. Um, that's why I got the certified geek therapy thing because I was like, "That's easier than a doctorate." Huh? Certifications, yeah. Berlin, like yeah, kind of pad your 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 skill set. Pad sure. my name. 
<laughs> those acronyms yeah. yeah yeah true congratulations by the way okay so we'll get to back to the real question first but what are the letters you get to put on your name yeah i actually haven't thought about that but i guess i get to put msc now which is like master of science what's the c then uh s for sc oh, so for okay. science oh like a lowercase c yeah lowercase c yep oh yeah so fun fact um, me and my grad school cohort, we had no clue we got that. Oh, okay. none of us. So yeah. our professor was like in our few weeks out, she's like, who's excited to be able to put your letters on your name? We're like, what are you talking about? All 40 of us were like, what are you talking about? And she's like, guys, you know how people have the letters that enter their name? We're like, yeah. They're like, no, that's from like getting degrees. And we're like, oh, sick. We get to do that now. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> M dot E D dot. Oh, okay. So, Masters of Education? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I'm a school counselor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. that's, that's cool. why. Even though we're nice. in the same classes with the social workers, so it doesn't make sense, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> sir. so why do you think it's so important that we highlight that we're the first people to get our, in our families, this esteemed um, academic level? I guess, I mean, for me... It really is kind of as generic as like, you know, I came from a really poor like background. So it, it's kind of just like, that's always just been this motivation. It's like, yeah, like, I don't care where I came from. Like I can do this. Right. And so having achieved that now, especially in something that like is viewed as just like really strange and weird. Cause it's like, who the heck makes a, a living off of like studying turtles and stuff um, like adds kind of an extra layer of like, um authenticity and excitement for it for me because i'm like yeah like i really did take my passions and turn it into this valuable career like um path and i think that's why it's super important for me is like both like it's a validation of myself and like what my passions were and and the fact that like yeah they are really weird but like i can make it into something that's valuable and then two it's like yeah, I came from a super poor, super like undervalued place. And even from there, like you're able to create a really amazing story for yourself and you're able to really be ambition, ambitious and live through those ambitions. I like be ambition though. Be just ambition itself. Yeah, yeah. Be the inspiration, right? You want to see in the world. So shown in anime. Very. That's you're right that is very shonen which hey i'm down to be a shonen anime protagonist yeah i mean i feel like life's a little simpler that way so i'm down with that simpler i don't know you're like dying every other episode i know but like you're also you also have like plot armor so you don't have to worry about it true but all but what about our parents yeah usually the parents do have to like die early on yeah all right, sorry, parents. <laughs> but these sacrifices were needed for the plot. So <laughs> people needed to stay invested in my character. No, I just love, I see, I asked <laughs> that because I agree, completely agree with you from where not even we, but where parents came from to how mm -hmm. far one generation we got. Yep. Like, go us. And technically, we're the immigrants. So. Ha! Yeah, exactly. It's just like a very, I don't know. It's, I, yeah, there's like a chip on my shoulder kind of thing to it for sure. It's like, yeah, that's right. I did it.
Yes. I don't know. Just it is exciting. So here we are at the last section of the main question portions is what actually fostered for your love for science? Um, I think it was just where I, I feel like it's where my, like, like my interests in nature. So like the fact that I was so interested in all these different animals and like ecosystems and stuff like science just naturally aligned with that. And also I think as when I was pretty young, I found that there was a huge value to this area of study that was like felt objectively at the time it felt like it was objective like people just viewed it as this objective thing like there's all these other things you could study and then there's science and like it's like science gets to the point it gets to like it gives you the story with no like fluff or filler and you know now that we're older now that we've gone through these processes we do know that there's still biases and all these things in science and that they're necessary like a lot of these biases biases are necessary to tell the story and to provide the the context to better understand what the scientist is trying to tell you um but that idea that it was this like objective thing i think really resonated with me because it was like i can cut through all the other stuff that's not important to get to the valuable thing see and that's exactly how i describe psych to people mm -hmm. but for the opposite reason like you wanted to cut through I wanted to live in your all the stuff in a way in mm. order to understand what I don't know. I love the abstract of it all. I'm like, oh, yeah, tell yeah. me more. And that's why I think that's why I love this podcast too, because tangent, go for it. I don't care. Yeah, because you learn all right. about your rat experiments and the crane, whatever What's the crane's name. Walnut. 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 Yes. Yeah. Like good lord. It makes our good conversations and good fun. Just yeah, and right, it, it, it does end up being, like, those details do matter. And so, like, even though they might be tangents or something, they end up, you know, filling out a person's character and stuff. And fulfillment or whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> just like the podcast or something like that. So, <laughs> what's a big misconception about science that you want to clear the air up or clear the air of now while you have people listening and opportunity to do so okay yeah um misconception about science um i think i think it's weird we live in this we we live in a time right now where misinformation is still kind of runs rampant it's still kind of it's definitely tainted the general perceptions of science and scientists and like society's view on progress. Um, but at the same time, I still do think that one of the big issues a lot of people have with science is that science is not set in stone, right? Just like how I, I as a child really appreciated, or like, I thought it super cool that like, okay, you found this thing and now it's like, it's known. It's a fact that ends up not being the case, right? A lot of the things we study now, a lot of the stories we're trying to tell are so much more complex than just one study or just one person's work. And I think COVID and all these things that are happening right now are great examples of that, where 
you know, we, in the scientific community, we worked our ass off to like learn as much as we could create these vaccines, create all these things in such a quick timeline, but we still don't know all that much. And that's just to be expect expected. Like as much as science tries to be this very clean, um, rigorous, straightforward process, it's not, it is messy. There is a lot of going back and forth rebuttals because people are trying to figure out what's actually going on. Um, and I think that's one of the misconceptions that still happens right now is that science isn't clean. And the first study that you find on something isn't always going to be the be all end all. Like there, there's context and there's going to be future information that comes out that paints a better picture of what's actually happening. Very well said. Um, last question for this portion in theory, unless we go off on another tangent. Yeah. Um, how annoying is it when you have people that I will say are STEM illiterate me okay. asking you questions about STEM that are like completely out there? Out there. Sure. Um. It's not. It's not at all, actually. Especially with the caveat that you say that they're out there, right? Like, eh, that's fine. Like, honestly, most of the time that just gets me thinking about something that I never would have thought about. Why? Because my mindset is so ingrained in what I'm doing already that, you know, your thought that would see, seem preposterous to me, I would just never think of. But by asking me that, I'm like forced to like think about that and be like, well, is there something there? you know, is, is something actually going on there? And so for the most part, I mean, that's fine. Like I honestly, I really enjoy those things. I think the, the times where I don't enjoy when people, like when people are like STEM illiterate or something, try to ask me about STEM stuff is when they ask me about some current event in science or something happening that they want my opinion on and they 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 preface this by knowing that I'm doing my work in science. And so, like, they're implying I have some authority on it. Mm -hmm. That's why they're asking. And so I give them my, like, you know, most honest, authentic answer. And they, like, it's easy to tell when someone actually digests that and, like, tries to make it part of how they viewed the world and think about how that there's conflict there and all that stuff and that's fine. And then what I don't like is when people just immediately kind of like take that and it like hits their brain and just bounces off and falls over and they just regurgitate what they already thought and that what they wanted from me was just like a wall of sound so that they could like express their own opinion. And I'm like, if that was the case, why ask someone who you're implying had authority? Like if my opinion never mattered, then why are we having this conversation? I think that's frustrating, but that doesn't happen too often. Okay. Huh. That was a good answer. I don't theory. It was long and concise, but like, I don't know, that was such an oxymoron. I don't know. Thorough. Yeah. I'll say thorough. Yeah, it was thorough. Yeah. No, and you're welcome then for the butterfly question. Uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, like, you know, that's something I don't think about all that often. So nasty little scavengers. Uh <laughs> hate butterflies uh all right so that endeth the main question portion of the podcast Woo. Woo.
Nice. All right. So you ready for the rapid fire? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, we'll see if it's rapid because this is actually, I think, my 51st episode I'm recording. Oh, wow. Okay. And we have yet to go through these rapid because we always go off. So. Oh, okay. All right. I'll try and be concise. No, I don't care if we go off. Whatever. <laughs> but the first one is something you actually already answered, but I got to ask anyway. Okay. What are your chosen coping skills? Oh, weightlifting. And then I like painting with my girlfriend, but I don't get to do that all that often. What do you paint? Um, I'm really bad. Like I like if she ever hears this podcast, she's going to yell at me for saying that I'm bad, but I'm very not artistically inclined. Like I like doing it, but I'm not very good at it, but I just get like a paint by numbers thing. So it'll be whatever. It could be like the shore. It could be like a flower, you know, whatever. And I'll just paint that while she's like being awesome and artsy. She's very crafty. So like. Oh, opposites attract. Yep. Uh, oh no, I didn't know if you, have you ever been to paint night? No, I don't know what that is. Okay. So it's like you find, look up a paint night store. Um, and they have like different, uh, paintings they do each event. You sign up for the event. It's like 35 bucks, I think, but they give you an easel. The paints are there and it's like someone's leading the class on how to paint said painting. Okay, cool. Oh, that sounds like something. If my girlfriend and me are ever in the same continent, we should do. Where is she? Um, so she uh, has been in Australia doing her vet degree. Um, oh God! Since twenty eighteen, yeah, twenty eighteen, and then COVID happened. So right, that whole travel thing, not so much of a thing. So yeah, where is she from? She's actually from Northern Virginia. Uh, we oh, have, okay. uh, all right, we, I've already failed. I've already failed this rapid fire question thing. Oh, well. Um, but we do have like, uh, and it's my girlfriend. So I, I love telling the story. And if she ever hears this, she's going to like die. Uh, but I do think we have like a very cute, like meat story. Like how we met is like very adorable. And um, I was just coming back from tech work. My family was going through some bad economic times. So I came back to Northern Virginia and got like a consulting position to help the family out. And she actually just came back from her master's, which she did in James Cook University, which is in Queensland in Australia. And so I came back and I knew I was going to do consulting work. And I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of soul sucking. I'm not actually going to get to work with animals. This is going to kind of suck. It's going to be like construction and stuff. So I was like, all right, I have to find something to like nourish my soul. And what was that for me? I decided to join the Virginia Herpetological Society. And so I joined and they had like their annual meeting in Richmond a few months after I joined. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll go to that. And she just came back from Australia and she also joined that club and was at that herpetological society at, at that meeting. And so went to the meeting and got to see some presentations and meet the people there. But like almost everyone who was there was from that part of Virginia, kind of like the central and Southern portions of Virginia. And I'll never forget. I like was just walking around and I saw her looking at an Eastern tiger salamander. And I was like, all right, Eastern tiger salamanders are pretty dope. So she clearly has good taste. So I was like, all right, I'm going to like walk over and say, hey, and like talk about this Eastern tiger salamander because they're super cool. And so I did. And we, we struck up a, a conversation and she was like, yeah, I'm like here to 
try and find someone who actually go herping with me, like go out and try to find animals. And I was like, oh, well, where are you from? And she was like, oh, I'm from like Sterling. I was like, okay, yeah. So funnily enough, you're not going to have much luck because like everyone who's here is from like this part of the state. And the only other person I've met who's not from here is like me. Like I'm from Manassas. So like we're the only Nova people. And she was like, well, do you want to go herping? And I actually did. So I actually did go herping with her and that's how we met. Did you find anything on that herp? Uh, yeah. I mean, we found like uh, a bunch of like redback salamanders and some frogs and things. There's salamanders here? Yeah, you'll, you'll find some redbacks in Northern Virginia. They're like kind of the most common salamander. And if you know where to look, it's like, it's hard. I don't even know that well because I haven't been in Northern Virginia for a long time. Um, you can find some other cool salamander species. Funny, fun fact. Um, oh, what's that place called? There's a natural, there's like a little natural area that's literally surrounded by Alexandria in Northern Virginia. Um, Huntley Meadows. If you ever... I mean, if you ever want to go on like a little nature walk, they have this boardwalk and in that boardwalk, you can see snapping turtles. You can see all kinds of stuff, but they have spotted turtles there, which is oh. pretty cool. Too bad. This was not your state to excavate. Yeah. Or herp. It's not yeah. excavating. It's fine. <laughs> I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. I do kick up a lot of mud, <laughs> but you're not using toothbrushes. No, no, no. Poultry netting. <laughs> yes, poultry netting. Right. Team Edward or Jacob? Well, once again, I never watched it, but I have to say Edward because I like Pattinson. Which direction should you cut your sandwich in? I'm a big fan of diagonal. I like diagonal. What direction should you fold your napkin? Uh, also diagonal. I like the triangle. I'm down with that aesthetic. The strongest shape. The strongest shape? Also, probably the triangle. No, I was just saying that's why I was like, oh, oh sorry. I thought that was another question. <laughs> nope. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's good to earn the mentality. Here we go. What gift would you want to get from a fairy? A gift from a fairy? Um,. Oh my god! Probably, I think I'd want like, uh, like a cape that makes me invisible. I think that would be dope. Left or right Twix? Left. What's a trend that went too far? Oh god, um, I don't know. What is a trend that went too far? <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of any. I've been so isolated. Uh, uh, see, when you're saying that, I'm thinking like a trend that like ended up just like being insensitive or stupid. Like I'm thinking St. Patrick's Day. Like what's St. Patrick's Day have to do with anything with Irish anymore? People just drink. That's all I saw this weekend. A bunch of college kids almost get run over. Which, by the way, tis the season. Happy St. Patrick's Week, everyone. Yeah, actually, happy St. Patty's Day. Sorry, I was like, maybe made that my answer, but uh, I love the food. It's delicious. 
Okay. Uh, I have a whole field opinion about corned beef, but okay. Um, what's one thing you would eliminate from life? One thing I would eliminate from life. Um, one thing I would eliminate from life. Probably, honestly, probably like HR department fees. Oddly specific, but I don't know. Sometimes I just feel like it's annoying. And half the time they mess up my like funding stream anyways. So like, what's going on? <laughs> That's a nice way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? Um. Oh, who would play you in a documentary slash movie about your life? Oh, God. Um, who would play me? I was in high school I feel like I had like four people tell me I had actors that looked like me and I don't know who they are and sorry this is a tangent I'm pretty sure at Mason I had like five doppelgangers like I had people that looked very similar to me the only reason I say this is because I had friends come up to me and be like dude I saw someone and I was about to be like hey it's Joel and then it wasn't you and I was very embarrassed and I was like oh so maybe them, maybe doppelganger number three should play me in a movie. Whoever you are out there. One of the five. Yeah. That means one of them should be an actor, right? Or I would think, I, I don't know those statistics. Or at least some have some talent of that. I hope so. <laughs> um, what genre would that documentary or movie be? Ooh, tragic comedy. I like how it's a tragic comedy, not just comedy. Yeah. yeah, tragic comedy. If you stick to the status quo, which clique would you be in? All right, I need some context. What do you mean? Like, you as a person. What so, clique? like, a nerd? Like, that, that would... kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably just a nerd. What clique should you have been in in high school? uh high school high school high school high school high school high school probably like i probably should have been like a bit more of a weeby nerd but i definitely was just a nerd like i didn't hang out with any of the other people that were like super into anime even though i watched a crap ton of anime <laughs> what's your favorite anime oh god that's hard um <sighs> that's hard uh, i think Right now, I would have to say it's still Space Dandy. I really like Space Dandy. That one's really good. Um, I think when it comes to manga, it's a little more clear-cut for me. I really like Berserk. Um, that one. That one, I, I've reread that like four or five times, and that's like a long one. Although the guy just died, so I haven't like seen what they ended up making the ending. <laughs> Oh, no one ever picks animes I like. <laughs> oh, well, what's yours? Uh, well, for anyone who's been following me long enough, they know it's Digimon. Oh, okay, word, word. A classic. I know. But, yeah, I like Blue Exorcist. Um, okay, cool. What else? Uh, Fairy Tale. Yep. Also, also, I like Yashihime, the sequel to Inuyasha, but I didn't like Inuyasha. So that makes no oh, sense to me, but okay. it works. Meh, it happens. It's fine. 
And I'm watching it, and I'm like, I have no idea if this is a reference or not, but my sister, who was obsessed with Inuyasha, was like, no, it's a reference to this. I'm like, Jesus, okay. I'm trying to remember. Is it Inuyasha? Oh, well, you never watched it. I'm trying to remember if Inuyasha, because I don't, I might have watched it, and I can't remember if it was the one where I was like, oh, there's like swords and stuff, but then it ended up just being a love triangle. (laughs) And that was like what the plot was. That sounds like half of anime. You're not wrong. All right, I I'll I'll leave now. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, you only have one more question left. Rapid <laughs> yeah, fire. Go ahead, go ahead. The anime was not part of it. I was just curious. Um, final question of the rapid fire question section: If your life was a jukebox musical, what would be the opening song? Ooh, jukebox musical opening song. Um, hmm my life i feel like i've had a pretty good life so what's like a fun good song Ooh, um i would say probably roundabout by yes oh i think that's yeah uh you you may have now because um that song i've known that song for a while but that song has become popularized because it's the song that everyone puts JoJo memes over. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you're familiar with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All right. No, I'm not, but I will look up the song later. Do not worry. But here endeth the questions. Look at you. You did it. Woo! Woo! Did it. Killing the game. All right. So, is there anything else you want to say to the world while you have the platform? Um. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening to this. This was uh, super awesome to do. I really enjoyed being on this podcast. And um, yeah, hopefully you guys learned a little bit about turtles and kind of what it's like to be um, an academic professional doing wildlife and, and research work. And, uh, you know, to all, all the people out there who maybe have thought that they could do something like that or interested in, in something like that, it's all about dedication. Like, um, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to have all these natural talents. It's it's really all just, like, find find uh, find an avenue, find a way in, and then just keep keep going at it and have a lot of passion and, and, and enjoy yourself while you're doing it. So inspirational. If people want to reach out and ask questions to you, they could always reach out to me, but where can they reach out to you? Um, I guess, I mean, the email, really email is the best way to reach out to me. And that would be uh, jmota2505 or 05 at gmail.com. That's the email. Um, yeah, it's probably the best way to get in touch with me because I'm old. <laughs> Old and off the grid. Yeah. I'm getting back on the grid, but barely. Well, either way, it was great having you on, Joel. Yeah. Thanks so much for the opportunity. This was awesome. No problem. And for all you satellites out there, that's the fandom. uh, Catch us next orbit. And yeah. Peace out, people. Bye. Peace. One.